You know, sometimes we miss the obvious, but thank goodness we have people, some people will probably never see in our entire lives who help us not to miss we don't have one of the obvious. Who are these people? Where do they come from? What do they do? These are the people, the unsung heroes, who write warning labels and signs for us. These are actual warning labels found off products and areas. I'm reading to you right now. I think it's obvious, but sometimes we miss the obvious, don't we? This warning label is found from a baby stroller. It says, warning, remove infant before folding for storage. <laughs> Seems obvious. Here's one found on a toilet bowl cleaning brush. Warning, do not use orally. Seems obvious, unless you're a potty mouth. Anyway, <laughs> this is found on a sign at a railroad station. It says, warning, to touch these wires is instant death. Anyone found doing so will be prosecuted. <laughs> Even though you're dead, you're still getting sued. Warning labels are there really to protect us, sometimes to protect us from ourselves. Sometimes they're so obvious, we might miss it. But you know what? Life doesn't come with a warning label. I mean, you can't look on your hands or body somewhere unless you've been slinging some ink and see a warning label for life. But thankfully, we have a big, bright, clear warning label. And this warning label has been given to you and given to me not to harm us, not to hurt us, not to rain on our parade, but this warning label has been given to us to protect us. And this warning label was true a trillion years ago, it's true a million years ago, and it's true today. Here is the warning label. It's found in this book called the Bible in Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, Exodus 20. Here it is. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. God brought us out of slavery. Warning. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to worship them, to bow down to them or worship them. What is God saying? Do not put anything, do not put any person, do not put any pursuit or any goal at the very center of your life because that center will not hold. Now, this may seem obvious, but what he's saying to us here in 2021 is this. Warning, do not worship yourself. Do not worship 
yourself. You know, last week we talked about addictions. Addictions. Why do we get addicted to substances, to things, to activities where we can't stop and they become incredibly destructive in our life? Really, addictions is a worship problem. It's not a substance problem or an activity problem. It's a worship problem. The word addiction literally means devotion. Devotion. And what underlies so many addictions and what underlies so much deception is this devotion we have either overtly or covertly to ourselves. And we fall into this worship disorder. We put ourselves at the center instead of God. And this leads to all type of chaos, addiction, pain, and depression. Now, a lot of us are familiar with the Greek myth of Narcissus. See Narcissus up there, there's a painting of him. There he is, right there. Narcissus was a young guy, a young hunter, who was the man. He was certified, he had millions of likes, everybody loved him, all the women loved him back in the day, but he did not love them back. And one day he was walking, as you know in the story, and he caught a glimpse of himself in this little pond, in reflection pond. And he went crazy crazy, enamored with himself. Some say that Narcissus looked at himself so long he fell in the water and drowned. Others say in the myth he looked at himself and didn't meet his other needs and just starved to death. But it's from Narcissus that we get that word that is kind of a common buzzword today called Come on, narcissist, say it with me. Narcissism, narcissism. We throw that around a lot. We love to get on our computer or phone and look up and diagnose people at work and our family as narcissists. Not me, them, right? Narcissists. Now, here's the deal about narcissism. Narcissism is a real thing. And we live in a self-centered, narcissistic culture. We have live in a culture that encourages narcissism. Social media encourages narcissism. So much of our teaching and training and even a lot of the principles we can learn that are good, but some that are bad from psychology are narcissistic. So what is narcissism? Narcissism comes at all shapes and sizes. One size does not fit all. So if you look at narcissism, you have to look at it on a continuum. You know, zero being someone who's just not a narcissist at all, and 10, someone who is that first type of narcissist, what I'll call a clinical narcissist. A clinical narcissist. A clinical narcissist is someone who has a PhD in selfishness. <laughs> They, they, they are, are, are 
selfishness and pride on steroids, self-love to the XXL. I know some of you are in the drug business and you know in the drug business, there's a, there's a motto which says, don't get high on your supply. A, a clinical narcissist gets high on their supply. And what they need a good dose of a supply, their favorite drug, three favorite drugs are me, myself, and I. Narcissists tend to be very grandiose. Narcissists think they're bigger than you. Their life is better than you. They're, they're smarter than you. They have all the answers. They've traveled more, done more, will do more. They exaggerate their, comp, their, their achievements and they love to put you down and put you in their place. They're incredibly insecure, though they seem very secure. They lack empathy. They can't feel the pain and the hurt of others around them. They're bullies. They love to put people in their place. This is a clinical narcissist. There's a, there's a great verse in the Bible in 1 Samuel 15, I think describes a little bit about a clinical narcissist. Check this out, 1 Samuel 15, verse 12, says early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. <laughs> then he went on to Gilgal. Now, the Israelites weren't making a monument to Saul. They weren't saying, man, Saul, you've been such a great leader, such a great person. We're gonna build you a monument. No, Saul goes to Carmel to make a monument for himself. This monument is sponsored by Saul. I endorse this monument. Love me, adore me, worship me. I'm the man, I've got it all together. I'm here, you're there, always. That's a clinical narcissist. Now there's also another kind of narcissist called the covert narcissist. Undercover narcissists. They're narcissistic. They really don't care about the feelings of other people. They want to be perceived as really smart and self-important and successful. They just don't wear it on their sleeve. They're the kind of person that, you know, you're always cutting themselves down and I'm not really that great and I can't really sing and I'm not really that smart. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm just humble. You know, it's, it's that covert narcissist. A covert narcissist tends to be more introverted than extroverted. The clinical narcissist is out there in front, larger than charge and all that. But a covert narcissist refuses to engage in a lot of social interaction, withdraws to themselves because of the fear of being found out. And more about that later. There's a third kind of narcissist, and that is called the common garden variety, everyday narcissist. Now, most of us know here, right? Most of us know it's, it's wrong to brag about yourself. It's wrong to be selfish. We kind of know that. So we kind of play these own little narcissistic games inside of our mind. And we compare ourselves to some extreme clinical 
narcissists out there. And then we say, well, I'm not really that bad, but we still have this narcissism, this selfishness of putting ourselves first above others. Now, if you're still wondering, what is narcissism? How do I know if I might be a narcissist or someone I know if I fall into one of these three categories? You probably do, but in case you don't know, let me, let me turn to Jeff Foxworthy for some help. How many of you heard of Jeff Foxworthy? Raise your, yeah, Jeff Foxworthy, brilliant, brilliant comedian, great guy. His iconic catchphrase that put him on the map, he has other comedy, was you might be a redneck, right? So here's some of the things that Foxworthy wrote years ago that I like, and I'm gonna connect it to narcissism in a second, okay? He said this, he says, if you've changed, you gotta do a squeaky voice. If you've changed your diaper on a truck's tailgate, you might be a redneck, right? If you run out of beer and call 911, you might be a redneck. If you've ever cut your grass and found a car, I like that, you might be a redneck. If you've made change in the offering plate, which I saw some of you do earlier, you might be a redneck. If your porch collapses and kills more than five dogs, you might be a redneck. So I have a little list here called You Might Be a Narcissist. Ready? If you take more than five selfies a day, you might be a narcissist. If you think you're a very stable genius, you might be a narcissist. If you refer to yourself in third person, you might be a narcissist or a rapper. If you think you're never gonna die, you might be a narcissist. If you can't empathize and you never apologize and you always tell a pack of lies, you might be a narcissist. Now, Enough about me. Let's talk about you and what you think about me. So that's narcissism. Narcissism on the surface, if we had to look at it theologically, narcissism is runaway pride. Pride cometh before the fall. We all deal with pride, original sin the first love barrier we looked at a few weeks ago. So narcissism on the surface is runaway pride, pride gone wild. Beneath the surface, narcissism is a way to cover shame. No matter if you are clinical, covert, or just your common narcissist, we fear being exposed. A narcissist doesn't want people to get too close to really find out that they're not all that, that they're broken, hurting, afraid, insecure sinners like all of us. It's fear. It's fear that drives that 
narcissism. It's fear that drives that sense that I've got to present myself as having it all together, being successful. I'm the man, I'm the person, I'm the one that's gonna get, get, get it done. It's a cover, most of the time, for shame. But we all have to deal with our inner narcissists. We all do. It's like materialism, okay? Materialism and our culture and our society is something that you never fully overcome. You never, you're never gonna wrestle the monster of materialism to the mat and pin it once and for all. You're never gonna have that knockout blow to narcissism and our narcissistic world and never have to deal with it again. That's just not realistic. We all are turned and bent inward. We all, in a sense, are always thinking about ourselves and we kind of can't help it. But narcissism in our culture today is, is truly pandemic and epidemic. It's everywhere you go. You can go on the YouTube and, and there, are, there are channels and channels devoted to narcissism. What is a narcissist? Are you a narcissist? Are you dating a narcissist? How to de I mean, it's everywhere. And then the rest of the internet is telling you how to be a narcissist. How crazy is that? But that's the world we live in. I was talking to a pastor in another city recently about this, about this, this tendency that we have to be narcissists and the problem of narcissism and just overt selfishness and pride in our culture. And he was like, well, hey, what do we do about it? What do we do about this narcissism? And what do we do about narcissists? And I said this, don't become one. That's it. Don't become one. So the question is, how not to become a narcissist on any level in a narcissistic world. That, that would be a good book title, wouldn't it? How not to become a narcissist in a narcissistic world. Philippians chapter number two, verses three following. This passage is known as the canonic passage or the kenosis of Christ. This means the self-emptying of Christ. But look what Paul says about that and about how that hits narcissists right in the nose. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, narcissism. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself fees and not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, if we go on, was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, humbled himself, became a servant, washed the feet, and even became obedient to death on the cross. How do you not become a narcissist in a narcissistic world? First of all, this, do the exact opposite, okay? Just do the opposite. 
When you're feeling sorry and pity for yourself, where you're feeling like you've got to post this and show them there, go ahead and post and show them, that's fine and dandy, but let that selfie remind you to get out of yourself and start serving others. Start serving others. Do the exact opposite. Thomas Chalmers wrote a book years ago. I love the title of it. I've not read it, but the title says it all. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. In other words, the way you deal with an addiction, the way you deal with a problem, the way you deal with uh, a sin is to do the opposite of it. Don't focus on, oh, don't be prideful, don't be prideful. Practice humility. Don't focus on, I'm not gonna be selfish, I'm not gonna be selfish. Find someone to serve, right? That, that's the, the new way to do it. Oh, I, I'm not gonna eat, I'm not gonna do this. Start working out, start eating. I mean, do the opposite. Do the opposite. I think one of the greatest football players who's ever lived and also underrated is a guy by the name of Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers was a running back many years ago for the Chicago Bears. The Bears, yes. He was phenomenal, he was so gifted, so talented. He had a fellow running back by the name of Brian Piccolo. As they were going in their careers, his running back, his friend, Brian Piccolo, developed cancer. Gail was with him, they, they did life together, they suffered through cancer together, and he was there when Brian passed away. And out of that experience of living life and doing life with Brian Piccolo, Gail Sayers wrote a best-selling book with the title, I am third. God first, others second, and I am third. How do we push back against this narcissism that's out there and in here, we do the opposite. We go, Gail Sayers, I am third. God is the center. I'm not the center. I will worship God. I will serve others. And yes, I will have to take care of myself too. I am third. Do the opposite. Also, dive deeper into the gospel. Dive deeper into the gospel. I've been in church a long, 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 long time. I actually work at the church, if you didn't know. And it's easy going to church every weekend like all of you do, and even if you work at the church, it's easy to hear these powerful words of God or these truisms that we're singing and the gospel, and, and we don't allow the gospel to get deep inside of our hearts and our soul, to start to cover and to deal with that underlying shame and guilt we all have. How do we 
deal with the narcissism out there and in here. Listen, we do the opposite. We go Gail Sayers, I am third. And we also let the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ get deep inside of our soul. This overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God come and wreck my shame and my guilt where I don't have to hide, I don't have to pose, I don't have to posture, but I know in my heart of hearts that I'm deeply loved by God. As we say in Texas, warts and all. When I was still an absolute idiot and sinner, Romans says, Christ loved and died for me. Dive deeper into the gospel until the gospel starts to touch those areas and those parts of your life that you don't want to show anyone. Do a deep dive into the gospel and allow the gospel to go deep inside of you. That's like Tim Keller said many, many years ago, cheer up. The gospel tells you that you're far more wicked and depraved than you ever imagined. And also the gospel says at the same time, cheer up, you're far more accepted and loved and forgiven than you could ever dream possible. The gospel is for sinners. The gospel is for people who have shame, who have guilt, and we're willing to just give that to God and confess that to him and say, forgive me, God. I want to know your reckless, never-ending love in my life, and I want to live it out to serve others. I don't want to worship someone like me. I don't want to worship Success. I don't want to worship these things. I want to worship you. I want to live for you. So as we're eating Thanksgiving turkey and stuffing and pecan pie, I hope, for you, and you're sitting around the table and you're thinking, well, there's a narcissist. No, don't do that. Instead, think about, God, how can I serve in this situation? How can I love and how can I show the gospel has gotten deep, deep inside of me?